This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. I'm your host for the show, Matt Picardle, and in this episode, we'll be talking with Jeff Smith, a senior associate at Silman. Jeff was also a co-host on our This Week in Civil Engineering show. And in this episode, we'll be talking to him about the process of existing building renovations and how teamwork plays a major role in these types of projects. Now let's jump into our conversation of the week. Before we dive in, we'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Now let's dive into today's episode. Jeff, welcome to the show. We're delighted to have you with us today. For those of our listeners who might not know, can you briefly introduce yourself and uh, tell them about what you do on a daily basis? My name is Jeff Smith, and I work at Sillman out of New York City. On a daily basis, generally, we collaborate with architects and other design professionals to make things stand up. We want to talk about existing buildings today, so that's a really interesting topic. In my career, I found, at least with structural engineering, there's new building design, there's existing building design, and two different in terms of the problem-solving aspects, uh, really different sets of problems. So can you explain what it's meant by the word existing buildings and how can existing buildings be sustainable since something that's uh, really relevant today? The biggest thing is that an existing building is already there. That's essentially what an existing building is, is it's already a structure that's built how we can work with that existing building is really beneficial for the built environment in terms of carbon footprint and any kind of green technology that we're dealing with, because we don't want to actually demolish any structures to build back new structures that just take up more of a carbon footprint than anything. Yeah, that makes sense with, because there's the cost to tearing down a building and then there's more cost to making a new building versus, hey, what can we do with this existing structure? I guess, how do you get to that decision-making process? I'm assuming with the building owners and whatnot, where's that decision made? I'm sure cost-wise on it's going to be a retrofit versus, okay, it's going to be a new building. Out of New York City, we don't have much open space here. So a lot of it is retrofits to start. You have some demolished 
buildings that then get essentially new towers or something like that put back in its place. If you have a facility already there and a building already there, and if we can determine that the bones can hold up what the program is for the structure that the owner wants, we push to renovate the building just because that existing building has a value, both monetarily and socially. So with keeping that existing building in place and modifying it in some way, you're helping the environment and you're helping the owner looking to achieve with that building as well. If you keep a building, it's going to be better sustainable, you know, for the carbon footprint. Is that almost always the case in terms of uh, sustainability? I would find it rare that it's not the case. If you're demoing a building to put a new building back in its place, you're hitting the carbon footprint in the environment twice with that because you then have to get rid of the material that you're demoing and then you have to manufacture the material that you're putting back in its place as well. What about a probe campaign? Uh, I've heard of that. What is that and how does it uh, affect the renovation process? So a probe campaign is when we go into an existing building and we take down the finishes and get to the actual structure itself. So like all of the drywall, the ceilings, any fixtures or things like that that happen to be in the way to remove that and actually get our full eyes on the bones of the building and the structure itself. Sometimes we have existing building drawings, which are great to have. But even when we have those, we still go through a probe campaign where we will open the building up just to verify that those existing drawings are accurate. There has been so many times where we go in with a full set of drawings and they're completely wrong. Or modifications have taken place from that original space. So you can see kind of where, like, say, a steel beam, where a steel beam has been cut and a new steel beam has been installed. And you would never have found that unless you did a series of probes inside the building to just popping up the ceiling itself to look around is beneficial. Like if you have a dropped ceiling space. Yeah, it's rare to have the existing building drawings, but even when you do have them, you go in, especially with those older buildings, what? These drawings are useless. They're not useless. They're a starting point of where things went wrong. That's the- <laughs> it's like, where did this mezzanine come from? I remember doing one for one of our buildings, like, wait, there's this whole mezzanine. There's this... Where is this on the drawings? And then it's a good starting point, but that's when you do the the probe campaign and you're like, oh, this is what it's really like because there's not that many as-built drawings. And sometimes, who knows, they might've gotten there without a permit or documents lost and, and whatnot. Or the owners simply don't have them. They may not have existing drawings at all. And then there's a whole risk factor to the owner if you go in with just broad assumptions. Like you may say, what is the owner willing to accept as a risk without knowing exactly what's there for the structure? And then that comes back in construction administration when you open it up and you're like, oh no, we need to fix it. The contractor's already on board, steel's already fabricated, or something, you know, or timber's already bought. There's levels of risk that probes tend to eliminate or try to. Like you're never going to eliminate all risk. And for the pro campaigns, uh, at least the way over there in, um, New York area. Is it just, uh, hey, we're going to tear out, open the soffit or is it, hey, we're going to tear open a lot of things and see what the actual structure is or what's the extent of that? So we usually go for like corners, right? Corners of spaces so that you get connections so that you can see the connections and so that you can get more bang for your buck in terms of like you open one probe, but you can see the column, you can see the girder and you can see the infill beam all in one space. And then you can kind of trace those out as you go. It's 
picking spots to go to and open those up, key spots that help you with that. During construction administration, that's when, that's when you really see. It all opens. Yeah. You verify your assumptions during that. That's the... <laughs> what about the existing building history? Uh, how do you get that and how do you review that? That comes from, you know, when the building was built, coming with the knowledge of the construction of that era. That actually feeds into where we do probes, because if you know that it's a flat plate building with concrete girders, you're not going to do many probes because you're not going to find out anything unless you're going deep into opening up to find out rebar and things like that. But we have some terracotta flat arch slabs here in New York City, which are not common anywhere. We also have, it's called a drape mesh slab here, which is, it's a catenary system where the, the slab is just fireproofing. And it's actually this welded wire mesh that provides the structural system. But if you don't know the history of the building, you're not going to know that. And if you don't know the construction methodology that was used at the time, you're not going to know that either. Now, there are ways to find that out. There are books. There are a bunch of different articles and things like that. Like That will help you with that. You know, Without knowing kind of the history, you don't know where to start. Uh, so it's figuring out what the structural system is. And some of those structural systems are very outdated or not used. And then you just got to do the research and see what the strength is of those or how those things work. We use a bunch of finite element models to verify that they still do work, right? Like you got, <laughs> if you're changing loads in the building, you have to verify. We're working on a building that's a slag block slab, which is essentially a giant waffle slab where they put these giant cinder blocks in the formwork to minimize how much concrete went in. So it's just a waffle slab that has a small, you know, thin slab over the top that connects all the waffles together. You got to do some type of analysis to make sure that this old material or this old structure still works. That's one of the challenges of existing buildings uh, that uh, I've seen. There's, there's like the grades of the steel and the concrete, the strength of it that you have to determine too. So whether that's laboratory testing that you do with coupons, you know, the concrete itself, whether you take cylinders. So before you do all your analysis, sometimes you might have to do that, doing some core, see what the actual strength of that old terracotta is and, and the steel. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. But what is it like in terms of working with uh, different governmental agencies? I know you've worked with uh, different size organizations and different types of projects throughout your career. What's that like working uh, particularly with the government over there and maybe the existing building departments in that? When we do a renovation, because in New York City, there's a lot of subterranean items, whether it be Metro North trains, Long Island Railroad trains, the subway itself, we have to submit our drawings to them for review. And they have a very specific requirements as to what they want to see on the drawings themselves. And those reviews can take some time. So if you have a building that's right next to a subway line, like it's going to be a little bit longer to get that through the permitting process because then it has to go through the MTA, the New York City MTA, and get through all that process of the internal reviewers and everything else. They just want to make sure that you're not putting undue load onto their structures that are 100 years old. It's the right thing to do. <laughs> if you're changing load, you want to make sure that nothing's going to happen to the subway. Yeah, but I could uh, also imagine that, uh, was it more eyes on the project and probably more delays and talking with the plan checkers and the agencies on trying to show that, hey, it's going to be okay. So it's more of the the government process that you have to go through. 
It's like a buildings department review plus. And then like another plus on top of that. So that's kind of what it goes to. That's something that I haven't had too much experience with. I think uh, in my projects, yeah, they're usually, we'll run into conduits and, and things like that. But talking to structural engineers from the New York area and uh, where there's a lot of subways, uh, that's a whole can of worms sometimes where we got a subway under here. What are we going to do? You don't know what you're going to pull up. Yeah, that's when you use the gymnastics that we have in our toolbox, right? Where we're dealing with cantilevers and backspans and Sometimes you have to cantilever over top of a tunnel and it gets funky. It gets pretty crazy. I can imagine <laughs> all the structural gymnastics that you have to go through to avoid surcharging. Yeah, especially those older subways. I know you've been on a lot of teams. Uh, for you and your experience, what makes a good collaborative team and how does it affect the projects that you work on? So number one is actually buy-in from the entire, both design team and construction team. If you have a team that's all together working on the project and not combative with one another, it makes the project go so much smoother and so much faster for everyone, both the contractor, the owner, the architect, our team, you know, the, the structural engineers, because it's we're working together. If it becomes combative, which you hate to see, where it's like, you didn't do this, you didn't do this, that tends to make things go sideways, frankly. Then everybody gets defensive. That's not good for a collaborative process. And that takes everyone being on the same page, uh, like you were saying, with the different disciplines, I think getting the expectations uh, straight from everybody because everyone has different uh, responsibilities. And if you guys can get all on the same page, that makes it a lot better. Yes. I'm guessing that's uh, how you would want to work with team members that know renovation and, and what it takes, right? In terms of working with someone that's never done it before and they might get surprised. I'm not saying we haven't, because we have worked with people who've never done renovations before. And it's just, if they come in with the collaborative mindset, it's much easier because then they're willing to listen to what knowledge you have and you're bringing in from your experiences, both whether it's the contractor and our team with an architect who, who has not done a renovation before, or whether it's the design team doing it with a contractor that doesn't typically do renovations. It helps if we're all willing to listen to one another. And how do you manage and improve team dynamics over the long term? It's great if they're all collaborative, but are there ways when maybe they're not so collaborative and maybe we can, okay, let's try to help them out. Face-to-face -face meetings are generally the best. You can get into issues over email where you're just emailing to an email. And if you don't recognize that that's a person that you're emailing and they're emailing back to you, things can get skewed and get pretty nasty, pretty fast. But if you have a conversation with a person on site or in a meeting, it really helps. And it helps to see that they're actually people. It sounds a little cliche, but just going out to lunch with the team or having a team dinner helps with that collaboration because everybody sees that everybody's not just a structural engineer, an architect, a contractor, like they're people too behind that. It's a team. And I think especially with the texting or the messaging that's kind of been more prevalent in the last couple of years. I think that has its place definitely, but that phone call or even just meeting in person, uh, I think maybe an email that could seem really, I don't know, aggressive or misinterpretive. And then it all it takes is sometimes just a phone call. Oh no, X, Y, Z. And this is the reason why. Like, oh, okay. Completely agreed. Phone calls solve so many things. And sometimes people just don't pick up the phone and that 
us too, right? Like I like there's times where you just want to avoid the phone, but there's times to use it and just say, hey, what's going on? Yeah, those uh, t- teaching the new engineers. Okay, if there's like one or two back and forth, let's pick up the phone. I'll just go over to your desk if you're in the office. Oh, okay. And this is what she meant. Got it. Because it's uh, kind of like that communication. I know uh, some folks like to just call and pick up the phone, but I think some of the younger engineers are, are more used to that communication, but showing everyone that, hey, there's times and places for when uh, you should pick up the phone and when you shouldn't, because it could save a lot of time and a lot of uh, misinterpretation. Completely agreed. I think that's one of the biggest things that younger engineers can learn from. It's like the workplace, especially if it's the first time. This is how you communicate, guys. We're not teaching this in school. To end off here, do you have any final piece of career advice for structural engineers, either in their career or even in their building projects? I think you always need to be willing to learn. Between materiality and technology, everything's always changing. So if you learn something well, don't be afraid to learn something else that comes along too. Your basic statics and dynamics are going to stay the same, but the materiality and the technology is always changing. I know the AEC industry is still kind of slow, I guess, overall, maybe compared to the tech industry or whatnot. It's always changing, and especially with the computers and new technology, even from the manufacturers, encouraging them to try that stuff out because that might be the future. That's the new innovation. I think that's what we need in our industry, more innovation and questioning why we do things the way we do. So I think that's great advice. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on and and talking with us. Uh, Really appreciate it. It was great talking to you, Matt. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 91, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at Engineering Management Institute. Dot org.